0: we come together today and we declare that you have been faithful. Even through the, the pain and sorrows that we walk through, you are still faithful. Even through the joys where we may take our eyes off of you, you are still faithful. And so we praise you today, and we want to give you all of the credit and the recognition and the glory. And Lord, we Also, come to your word now, and as we recognize that you are faithful, this is an expression of that, that you are still speaking to us today by the power of your Spirit. So would you do that now in our hearts? Fill us with the strength we need for today and the hope for tomorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. God has promised us, as his people, quite a lot of things, wonderful things. He has promised to work everything for the good of those who love him. He has promised to supply all of our needs and to strengthen, help, and uphold us. He has promised to answer our prayers according to his will and goodness He's promised to never leave us, nor forsake us. He's promised to return for us. And so much more. But we may wonder, will God really do what He promises to do? I mean, we should, why should we trust Him today to keep His Word and His promises? And part of the reason Part of the answer is that he has proven himself faithful, his faithful character, time and time again to his people. Great is his faithfulness. And today, I'd like to invite you into a story where we can see a reflection of this faithful character of the Lord. So, please open up to Ruth chapter 3 with me, if you will. Ruth 3. Ruth's story, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, started following Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, and some major suffering she had as she fled a famine in Israel for Moab, but then watched her husband and two sons die there tragically. When Naomi decided to return home to Bethlehem, Ruth decided to go with her. And Ruth would prove to be a tremendous demonstration of God's kindness to Naomi. In chapter 2, we saw Ruth seek out work to really eke out a living for the two of them. And she just so happened, it said, to, to start working, to start gleaning grain in the field of a man named Boaz. Ruth caught his eye. And Boaz was then super generous to Ruth, welcoming her, protecting her, feeding her, sending her home with abundance. And in this, we actually saw a a vivid picture of the gospel and how Jesus has treated us. Later that evening, Naomi told Ruth that Boaz was one of their family's redeemers. In other words, a A close relative who was qualified and responsible to care for them when they were in need. And maybe, just maybe, a prospective new husband for Ruth. Now, we saw, especially in chapter 2, but really throughout, that God had been unbelievably kind to Ruth, to Naomi already. And so what would they do with all that kindness? Should they pursue even more of it? Should we? Should they step out in faith, taking risks, trusting God to come through? Should we? Should they entrust everything about their lives to his care? And should we? Should should we believe what he says even when things promised haven't yet come about? Like, the first major need for Naomi's family had been met. God had provided them with food. And that brings us to chapter 3. And we wonder if God will yet provide a family for them. Preserving their family line, preserving their name. That's their second major need in this story. And today, things get kind of intense. All kinds of drama, suspense, and romance. At times, it may even get a little shady. Awkward sermon material. But this is the climactic turning point in the story. So look at verse 1 with me, where Naomi aspires to be a matchmaker, essentially. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women You were. The original language said something like, we need to find you a man. (laughs) Oh, and Boaz is a man. (laughs) And when she says, should I not seek rest for you, it literally means a resting place. Naomi's trying to find Ruth a home, security. She wants her to, to settle down again so that she'll be provided for and well situated in life. Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. Now if you recall from chapter 1, Naomi had prayed that Ruth would find rest in a new home with a new husband. And so now in chapter 3, she sees a, a providential opportunity and gets to work. Beginning to answer her own prayer. Like when we pray, We shouldn't just wait passively for things to happen on their own. It's good to actually seize opportunities under the assumption that God is giving the opportunities. So Naomi does this, and and she feels that it's time for them to, to make a move. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. What does that mean? Well, after... In a harvest, after all the grain was harvested and bundled up, it would be brought to a threshing floor, which was an open space of either exposed bedrock or hard stamped down ground. And there the grain would be beaten in order to remove the husks from the kernels. That's threshing. Winnowing was when you would take take a pitchfork and take all that and repeatedly toss it in the air. And letting the, the wind carry away the chaff and then the grain would fall back to the ground and you'd collect the grain. Essentially, this was the final step in the work of a harvest. And thus, it was intended to be a festive, joyous time of celebration. The crops had come in. Maybe think of this as the, the last day of work before holidays. Right? Everyone's working hard, but they're happy and they're getting increasingly excited about what's coming. Now, Naomi's wily. She knows Boaz will be in a good mood tonight. So she tells Ruth in verse 3, "'Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking.'" It's like, put on your best clothes, take a shower, girl, wash your face, (laughs) put on perfume... But she wasn't just telling Ruth that she smelled bad and needed to clean herself up. No, in another story in the Bible, in, in, in 2 Samuel 12, David does the exact same thing as Ruth here. And w- what was happening then? Well, his son had died. And he was in mourning. And when he washes himself and puts oil on and gets dressed up, it was a way of signifying that his time of mourning was over. Now remember, Ruth was a widow like Naomi as well. She had been in mourning for a long time now. So Naomi was basically saying, Ruth, it's time to move on now and show that you're no longer mourning. You're available an eligible bachelorette. And bonus, she'd smell better. And this is where Naomi's plan at least appears to get kind of sketch. It says, wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down... Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. The original hearers would have been swarming here. Maybe scrambling to cover their kids' ears. (laughs) She's got this whole plan laid out, though. Go down there, but just watch from a hiding spot for a while. Don't let him know you're there, and wait till he's well-fed... Everyone's happier after a meal, after all. He'll lie down to sleep there in order to keep watch over his grain. And now, make note of where he lies down, because you don't want to do this to the wrong guy. (laughs) (laughs) After he falls asleep, sneak over and (sighs) uncover his feet. (laughs) Lie down there. Now, verse 4 is filled with possible euphemisms or innuendo. Uncover, feet or legs, and lying down all had some sexual overtones in Hebrew. But at the same time, they all had very innocent meanings too. So we wonder like, what was Naomi telling Ruth to do? Seduce him? We don't know for sure. However, anything sexual is pure speculation. It's really reading between the lines because there's no proof that anything impure went on here. In fact, this story ended up, it became more of an example of godliness and purity in the midst of a potentially sexually charged situation. That's the way the story was seen. Now, we wonder though, what in the world was with uncovering his feet? That seems awfully weird. Well, it's probable that this was just a strategy to get Boaz to wake up eventually. I ever woken up in the middle of the night with some body part outside the covers? <laughs> Ruth, uncovering Boaz's feet, would expose them to the night air, which was getting increasingly chilly. And, but he wouldn't wake up until he got uncomfortable later on in the night and other people around would have either gone home or gone to sleep. So you see what Naomi was planning there? It was a a clever calculation for a favorable setup for them. Like they'd be alone, Boaz would be in a good mood, and they could talk together privately. It was risky, daring even. The outcome was not certain. But as we've seen all along, Ruth has guts. She's got major courage, and she goes for it. Says, all that you say, I will do. Now, before I give you the main points here, the major truths I think that we can take away from this story, I need to clarify something. Because Boaz is not God in this story. Neither is Ruth or anyone else. It's an actual story of something that took place. I'm not trying to just allegorize a historical narrative story to somehow fit our lives and fit Jesus into it. Neither am I trying to moralize the story in order to just see good behavior in it, like be like Ruth or be like Boaz. That's not the point. Often the point of Bible stories is the opposite of that. Like, don't be like so-and-so. However... The book of Ruth is actually very unique in the Bible in that the entire story is meant to display kindness to us. It's intended to do that, to show us the, the ideal of human kindness to one another, and most of all, the loving kindness of God. which We've talked about the chesed of God. And so, the characters in this story actually do reflect the character of God to us in various ways. It's also no coincidence that Boaz is a first biblical example of a redeemer. An image that would be used later on to eventually describe Jesus. And the work that he does on our behalf. So, while Boaz isn't Christ, he does illustrate some of what Christ does for us as our Redeemer. Okay? So as we look at the story through that lens, here's the first point I think we can see come through. That the kindness of security can be sought in the Redeemer. The kindness of security or protection, you might say, can be sought in a Redeemer and in the Redeemer. This is what Naomi and Ruth were after. Really, for the the well-being and future security of their family, a suitor needed to be found and a marriage needed to be arranged. So Naomi concocts this plan and Ruth puts it into action. Look at verse 6. It says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Oh, scandalous. (laughs) Now, in Hebrew, there's actually a lot of intentionally ambiguous language here. It's, It's meant to be provocative. But again, let's be very clear. We see nothing immoral or impure happen here. Despite the intensity of the scene, nothing calls their morality into question or their nobility into question. What happens next, though, is pretty funny. <laughs> Verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Maybe a, a breeze was now blowing on his now-exposed lower extremities. <laughs> his toes got cold. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. What in the world? (laughs) She wasn't there before. He said, who are you? Now, much is left to our imagination here. Was Boaz upset, confused, scared, curious? Who are you? Was Ruth asleep too? Had, was she facing him, or was she turned the other way? Like, Did he have to shake her awake, or did he wake to find this woman staring back wide-eyed at him? <laughs> Don't know. Whatever the case, Ruth was very forward, very bold. Verse 9, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, if you don't get the gist of this, this was a straight-up marriage proposal, Sadie Hawkins style. (laughs) Instead of leaving things ambiguous, like dangerously ambiguous, she makes her intentions clear. She's after marriage. She's after commitment, not some one-night stand. And see, when Boaz, or when Ruth asked Boaz to spread his wings over her, that likely had a double meaning. Wings can also be translated as corners of a garment. And that was a saying in that day, to spread your garments or have someone spread their garment over you meant for them to take you under their protection, to bring you under their care, close to their side. In essence, Ruth was asking for something that only husbands did for their wives. But, it's likely even more meaningful than that. Hence the ESV, the Bible we're reading, the translation of wings. Because it's the same word that's used back in chapter 2 by Boaz, when he prayed, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And like we saw last week, this was a picture of a mother bird protecting her young, giving them refuge, warmth, protection, and security. So, Boaz, remember when you prayed that I'd find refuge under God's wings? You can actually be the biggest answer to that prayer right now. One pastor commented here, you got to love it when a wife uses scripture on you. (laughs) But question, is this what Naomi told Ruth to do? No. She had said to wait and hear what Boaz says. Instead, Ruth deviates from the plan and tells Boaz what to do. (laughs) She's so bold. This is an audacious step of faith. Think about it. This is a younger Moabite woman just proposing to an older Israelite man. This broke all the cultural rules of the day. Talk about risky. How would Boaz respond? Would he scold her? Shoo her away? Take advantage of her? Find out momentarily. First though, notice again what Ruth calls Boaz. It says spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And there's that word again, redeemer. This was like saying you have the legal right to marry me. And I'd like that. Like this awesome, like Ruth's request was more than just a marriage proposal. By invoking Boaz's position as Redeemer, Ruth was actually asking Boaz to provide an heir for Naomi as well. To look after their whole family. In short, Ruth was asking for Boaz's security. His provision, his protection, and his redemption. And it's a a shadow of what we need and what we seek in a Redeemer. As born sinners, who are in the clutches of evil, on the highway to hell. We need someone to step in and deliver and protect us from all dangers. We need someone who can provide for all of our deepest, most desperate needs. We need someone who will shelter us from God's wrath and shelter us from evil, spreading his wings over us, offering us security, both now and forever. And there's only one Redeemer who can do all this. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who in the greatest love story ever told, sought us out and bought us, bought our freedom. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us through his death on the cross, dying the cursed death that we deserve to die before rising again to new life. I think that Ruth's story hints... That this is a good thing for us to seek out redemption from him. From a redeemer. Even if it's scary. Even if it seems risky to you. Like Jesus is worth risking everything on. Like love always involves risk. Love always involves risk. But it also involves great potential reward. Christ may have sought us out first, but he then enables us to seek him and find him by faith. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what we do by faith. Have you earnestly sought out Jesus, your Redeemer? Have you pleaded with him to spread his wings over you in protection and security? Like, there's, there's so much insecurity in our world right now. Our immune systems are insecure. Money is insecure. Our jobs are insecure. Marriages are insecure. Housing markets and stock markets are insecure. Health systems are insecure. Governments, nations are insecure. It can go on. You and I need something. We need someone we can hold on to and count on today. Someone who can provide all the true security we most need. And in his kindness, God in Christ is ready to be sought and found by you So won't you admit your need today? Ask him to redeem you today once and for all like seek him out he promises in another place you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. who are you looking for today? Who are you trying to find? Who are you pursuing? Who are you after? May we all lay ourselves at Jesus' feet as his servants, asking, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. After Ruth's surprise appearance, and then her proposal, You think Boaz was still sleepy? (laughs) He must have been wide awake and alert by now. But how would he respond? Would he be pleased, amused, angry, embarrassed? Well, you can breathe a sigh of relief with Ruth. He was delighted. Verse 10. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So, in chapter 2... Boaz was the one to show kindness to Ruth. Now Ruth is doing likewise. No matter how kind Boaz had been or would be, his kindness was being returned to him. And in this, we can see another picture of how we can and should respond to our Redeemer. That the kindness of love can be returned to the Redeemer. We're loved by our Redeemer. And the kindness of love can be returned to him. Like this, that's what God most wants from us anyway, isn't it? The, the first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. Now that's not a romantic love. That's a, a covenantal, affectionate, devoted love for God. Putting him first. And we're to love God, Why? Because he first loved us. Far more than we could ever love him. But to whatever extent we can, we return his kindness to him by loving him with all we've got. Do you love your Redeemer? Do you love Jesus? If so, do you show it? do you express it do you love him on an i give my sunday mornings to him level or do you love him on a i'd give my life for him level maybe on a i'd risk my reputation on him or my wealth or i'd risk my future on him level Boaz just marvels at Ruth's loving kindness for him here. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. He's probably referring back to the kindness she had shown Naomi there. But whatever the case, he's like, this latest kindness is your greatest kindness yet. (laughs) How so? Because Ruth chose him over any other option she had. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. To me, it sounds like Boaz is this older bachelor who thought he didn't have any shot with Ruth. And yet at the same time, it sounds like he had been wishing that he had had a shot. So now he sees... Her there, this strong, diligent, loyal, godly woman before him. And he's like, you could have had your pick. Had your pick of any of the younger guys around. You want me to marry you. I picture him tearing up. (laughs) Overwhelmed. Ruth was selflessly and sacrificially setting aside what would have been normal human preferences and choosing a husband that really was the greatest benefit to her whole family. Like the the message paraphrases Boaz, what a splendid expression of love. So he says, yes. (laughs) And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He's like, no one would question my choice. Everyone knows you're a catch. They can see it. She was worthy, it says. Or uh, other translations say a woman of noble character, virtue, or courage. Now there's an interesting side note here. Because in the original order of the Hebrew Bible... The book of Ruth was not placed chronologically here, where it's after the book of Judges, but it was placed right after the book of Proverbs. And what is the final chapter in Proverbs, Proverbs 31, all about? The wife of noble character. The excellent and virtuous wife. Now that was intentional. Ruth was essentially seen as the ideal Proverbs 31 woman. She exemplified it. She works hard, provides for her family. She's not afraid. She's always doing good, not harm. And then the final verse of Proverbs 31 says, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. It's the same exact language Boaz uses here to describe how Ruth is seen and praised in their town. She's a woman worth praising, worth imitating. For a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So, in your estimation, how are things going for Ruth and Boaz right now? Pretty great, right? Amazing. It's all coming together beautifully. Wedding bells are ringing. (laughs) Can you feel the love tonight? Right then, Boaz brings up one slight complication. Verse 12 says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh Uh-oh. Plot twist. There's another guy in the picture. (laughs) This is a a major complication. You might imagine Boaz's eyes falling here and, and Ruth looking stunned. But Boaz reassures her, verse 13, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Like, there's nothing we can do about it tonight. One way or the other, Ruth would have a new husband soon. Might not be who we all wanted to be, but she'd be looked after. She'd be redeemed. What can we see about our redemption here? The parallels are not exact for sure. But I do think we can see this truth. That the kindness of redemption is promised by the Redeemer. The kindness of redemption is promised by the Redeemer. Either he will do it or I will do it. But you will get what you seek, Ruth. I promise Maybe not exactly whom she sought, but she would be redeemed. If he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And this is where our story clearly deviates from Ruth and Boaz's. Because in our case, there is no other Redeemer. There's only Christ. He's it. However, There are still similarities in that our redemption has been accomplished by Christ. And yet, we have not received all the benefits of it yet. We have the first fruits, but not the harvest. As Paul says in Romans 8, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're still waiting for the fullest expression. We're still waiting to see redemption's work finalized. We're still waiting to have our entire selves, not just our souls, redeemed. We're still waiting to see our Redeemer face to face. We're still waiting for a wedding. Wedding feast. Like we too, in a way, need to lie down until morning and wait for the sun to rise. Now there's tension there. Groaning, waiting in eager expectation. And waiting can be hard. But this is where we must hear our Redeemer promise that the fullest expression of His kindness is truly coming. We can trust Him. We need to trust Him. Hear Him saying today, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Because it's true. He will. You might be confused about what Boaz was talking about with a redeemer nearer than I. Essentially, that just means that there was a closer relative with a prior claim to the job. We'll meet the guy more next week in the final chapter. But in this response, even that Boaz gives Ruth, we can see a glimpse of the character of Boaz again. He's a man of integrity. Right? He's upright, above board, even if it cost him Ruth. He'd settle things through the proper means in trusting the outcome to God. Now it's his turn to selflessly sacrifice his own preferences and desires. We might also sense some righteous sexual willpower here. He basically says, We will wait until everything is properly settled and righteous. Anyone suspecting sexual behavior here ignores Boaz's obvious integrity throughout the story. In the original language, the author uses careful, really intentional wording to say that though this may have been an intense scene, a uh, crucible of temptation, you've got this man and woman, alone, secluded, likely in love, though all that is happening, they walk away morally unscathed, pure in the eyes of the Lord. And I would say, may we all see examples of strong and godly purity in Boaz And Ruth, and may we rely on the Spirit to strengthen our own willpower. For we live in a day of rampant sexual immorality, just like they did in the days of Judges, really. Almost every love story that we hear or watch involves impure, sinful, erotic love. And we let our minds and our hearts get filled and warmed by it. Ruth 3 shows us something different. Something better. Something pure and holy. And something that is a thousand percent more truly love than any worldly counterfeit out there. And there's another fascinating level to this as well. Because back in Genesis 19 we hear the harrowing story of Lot and his daughters. Now, it's a really shady story. Some sinful incestuous stuff went on. His daughters give birth to children. The older daughter, though, names her son Moab. And that was the beginning of the Moabites who ended up being a A thorn in Israel's side for years. And the parallels between that story and this one in Ruth are kind of crazy. In Genesis 19, there's two women plotting to preserve their family line, waiting till a man is drunk and happy, and then laying down with him. And in that day, you would know that story well. You know Genesis 19. So as you hear Ruth 3, alarm bells would be going off. (laughs) Like A Moabite pursuing an Israelite, scheming, waiting till he's happy, lying down. Like this is how the whole Moabite mess got started to begin with. But then the stories diverge at the end. As Boaz and Ruth chart a different course. Instead of the darkness and the impurity of the past that led Israel into centuries of compromise, this was an uncompromised love, holy love between a Moabite and an Israelite. Is that a a picture of redemption or what? (laughs) But back in the story, just imagine... Boaz and Ruth trying to sleep now. <laughs> Think of the nerves, the tension, the suspense. As they lay there looking up into the stars, Boaz's mind is racing, like the, both with the exhilaration of being loved by this godly woman and the anxiety of how the next day is going to go, what he has to do. Ruth's mind is racing. as She's thinking how her marriage proposal was accepted. Kind of. (laughs) And realizing that she'd find out in the next 24 hours who her husband is going to be. She wants Boaz, but she could end up with this other guy she doesn't know instead. (laughs) Verse 14 says, So she lay at his feet until the morning. See? Doesn't say she slept. (laughs) She lay there likely wide awake, I think, till morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now that can sound pretty scandalous, but there's actually good reason for this. Because if, if rumors spread about them and what might have happened that night, it would certainly complicate Boaz's legal proceedings the next day. Like was... Boaz manipulated or victimized by a seductive Moabitus? I go over well. Was was there a conspiracy between them to to shirk the law, to defraud the other redeemer of his right? No, there was it was totally understandable for them to make some precautions. Verse 15, and he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Now, on one level, that would provide Ruth a cover for being out and about if needed. She was just bringing groceries home. (laughs) Possibly upwards of 75 pounds of barley. She's a strong woman. Now, like in chapter 2, imagine Naomi waiting at home, anxiously awaiting Ruth's return. How'd things go? After all, she couldn't get text updates throughout the night on how things were going. So look at verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now notice, Ruth tells Naomi something Boaz had said to her, but we weren't told this until now. We didn't know exactly why he gave her the grain. So why would the author wait till now, till Naomi is back on the scene to tell us this? That these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Does the word empty ring any bells to you? Specifically with Naomi. Back in chapter 1, Naomi had lamented that she went away full, but came back empty. Now, Ruth walks into her house loaded with grain, with a promise of redemption. And the message being communicated to her is, you're not empty. Your family is not coming back empty-handed anymore. And this, and there was likely even symbolism in the grain. As one scholar put it, the seed to fill the stomach was promise of the seed to fill the womb. Remember today, even when you feel empty, even when your physical hands are empty, you won't be empty forever. Not if you have a Redeemer. The story isn't over yet. You won't be empty forever. And if you find yourself in a season of waiting right now, wait and rest in His love. Because our Redeemer promises to step up and come through for us in His loving kindness. I imagine Ruth and Naomi had all kinds of mixed feelings at this moment. Happiness and encouragement on the one hand, but also plenty of uncertainty, uneasiness, nervousness. But Naomi reassures Ruth in the final verse. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Sit tight. Be patient. Boaz won't let this matter rest. Like, you got the guy's heart now. (laughs) Like, he's going to do something about it. Now, this chapter, notice, has poetic bookends. Naomi seeks rest for Ruth in verse 1, and then Boaz won't rest in verse 18. But it's also quite the cliffhanger. To find out what Boaz does you'll have to come back next week. (laughs) (laughs) But just, if you look back over chapter 3, I think you can see a theme of people's resolve to do certain things. Naomi tells Ruth what to do, says Boaz will do the same, and Ruth says, all that you say I will do. Ruth then tells Boaz what to do, and Boaz says... And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. About the other guy, he says, well, let him do it. But then assures Ruth that if not, I will redeem. And then finally, we're left with Naomi's guarantee that the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. And when we come to our lives, we have such greater promises in theirs, greater assurances, greater hope, Because we have a Redeemer who didn't just say He will do things, but He did them. We're done. He he redeemed us from the curse of the law, the penalty of sin, from the ransom of the devil, and from the wages of death. Showing us greater kindness than we could ever imagine. And that is why we can trust that he will keep his word and do all that he promises again. Because he's the redeemer who gave his life away in order to love and save us, the undeserving. He's the redeemer who has spread his wings of protection over us. He is the redeemer who leads us through emptiness and then refills our hands with grace. And our Redeemer will not rest. He did not rest until we have rest forever. Heavenly Father, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your love today. Show us with new eyes how you have already done so much for us. And help that lead us to trust you with tomorrow. For you are a good God. And we rest in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.